0: From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and Skywarn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks Podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Most Entertaining Weather
1: Podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Uh, If you happen to be listening for the first time, we always want to thank you for checking us out and stopping by. Um, We want to encourage you to go to stormfrontfreaks.com and access the library of all of our previous shows that we have, including uh, famous guests from the weather industry like uh, TV meteorologist Gary England, Uh, And we had an episode with James Spann as well. Those are just a couple you can check out. Uh, But tonight we are going coast to coast with your favorite TV meteorologist. Uh, One of the themes that we have this year, and uh, this is episode 72. We've got KGW-TV chief meteorologist uh, out in Portland, Oregon, Matt Zafino is with us tonight. So we're looking forward to talking with Matt and having him stop by. Uh, we'll be squeezing in a lightning round with Matt. We'll also be sharing some weather fools, as well as our new Tornado Talk and Tracker Chat segments that uh, we've been getting a lot of great feedback on. So uh, this show's jam-packed with some goodies tonight. Before we get to all that, we've got to find out what our co-hosts are drinking tonight. We're a little short uh, tonight uh, with people out, and some people are on a plane right now, but uh, Maz, thank God we've got you tonight. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell us what you're drinking.
2: <laughs> Believe it or not I'm having water cuz we got this little virus going around our house this head cold thing and I'm I'm like I'm so dehydrated I heard so I it's... heard
1: straight up vodka does a good job of fixing that but Oh, I'll be right
2: back then. Okay. All right,
1: very good. Uh and then we got we got Dina Dina uh who's who's apparently feeling a little better after getting um shot up a couple times, right? <laughs> Which, yeah, which could back. go multiple ways when I say that. I
3: know I should. We should elaborate, but I had some uh, car crash and some back problems. So,
1: are you allowed uh, to drink?
3: I'm not driving.
1: That's very good. That's all I needed to know. What I've are you, got some to... red
3: wine and some muscle relaxers. So if I start drooling, Whoa, just forget wow. about it.
1: This is good. Because... You you might be gone before Matt is gone tonight. So <laughs> oh, let let's. I'm uh, okay,
3: I'm okay though. Yeah,
1: we. So we better get to him right away. So Dean, I'll turn over to you. And give Matt a great introduction.
3: All right, tonight we welcome Matt Zafino, Chief Meteorologist at KGW-TV in Portland, Oregon. Now, since 1996, Matt has been the Chief Met there at the NBC Affiliate in Portland, a winner of three Emmy Awards for Outstanding Achievement in Weather Casting. Matt was inducted in 2016 into the prestigious National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Silver Circle for 25 plus years of outstanding service and broadcasting in the Northwest. Now, Matt, when I looked at your bio, I was like, 1996, you've been there. That is a testament of how well you must be doing because who lasts in a place Unless you're that good, like really, I'm not messing around because I've been in the industry for over 20 years. People do not last. You look at a news director the wrong way, yeah, for another job, and you're you stay there. Like, really, like what? How do you do it?
4: How do you do it? (laughs) You know, it's gone by in a flash, and yeah, and I was actually. um, I was actually at the ABC in Portland before I came here. So all told, um, like 30 years in Portland on the air, knock on wood. So I've been extremely wow. lucky um, and have had just a blast. And I'm still having a blast doing what I do, forecasting the weather and trying to maybe educate people a little bit in the process about weather and all things science uh, that I can. So, yeah, I'm extremely fortunate, Dina. It's been uh, it's been fantastic and uh, hope to keep it going a while longer.
2: Now, you're not like married to the GM sister or anything, are you? <laughs>
4: Uh, well, you know, considering that we just got a new GM like two months ago, no, I'm okay. nepotism. No, no nepotism. Yeah. No, no. But I don't have any pictures of anybody. Nothing like that. It's all, it's all on the. Other I way. was
3: just thinking about pictures. I'm like, I wonder if he's got pictures. So, are
2: you f- are you from the Northwest originally, or how did you end up there?
4: Um, no, not originally. Only for the last 33 years. Um, but I grew up in New England, in Connecticut. And I uh, just became fascinated with the weather at that point. In fact, um, it was really my high school German teacher that really instilled the weather bug in me because he was a weather nut himself. And he would uh, draw weather maps on the chalkboard and explain how, OK, if the storm goes up off the East Coast, we get a nor'easter, we get northeast winds, it's cold and we get snow. And we're all happy because we all get out of school. Um, <laughs> and if the storms went inland, you know, to our west, it'd be warm and rain. And um, I've been drawing weather maps ever since. You you were in
1: Michigan for a while, weren't you?
4: I was. I went to the University of Utah, and uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, just had an absolute blast in Utah. I'm an outdoors guy, so That's kind of
1: bizarre, though, coming from New England, and you pick University of Utah. (laughs) That's Uh, a waste.
4: Back in those days, of course, pre-internet, I went to the big, fat book of colleges and started paging through. I knew I wanted to be in the West because I wanted to ski, and I wanted to be around big mountains, Ah. and I just looked for- uh, colleges and universities that were near good skiing. And I Mm. came across the university of Utah and I said, much like Brigham Young, that this is the place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you graduated on the six year program, right? That's good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? No, no, I actually did graduate school there, too. That's
4: amazing. It and I really got my, t- sunk my teeth into mountain meteorology, which, um, after a year and a half in Michigan, came back to the West in Oregon, and uh, have been doing that ever since. So I've been super lucky to be in a place um, that is not only a great place to live, but allows me to live the kind of lifestyle that I like to live.
2: That mountain meteorology, it's the one thing I did not get a chance to do, but I, I heard it's very different than everything else. You wanna elaborate on that?
4: It is very different. Um, you know, For instance, where I live here in, in Western Oregon, our terrain is so incredibly complex. It has a huge impact on weather and climate, and you can see it in the averages. For instance, the Portland Airport um, happens to be the lowest place in town. Average rainfall is about 36 inches a year. But if you go 10 miles west or east and you gain a little bit of elevation, your average rainfall jumps up to 60 inches a year.
5: So
4: it has a huge impact on us. And the situation we're dealing with right now, which is so common in the wintertime, um, is a snow event. But for the lowest 1,000 feet, which is where most people live, it's a very tricky forecast because it's hard to overcome the marine environment and the warm air uh, that is uh, provided to us by the Pacific Ocean. It's hard to overcome that enough to get snow all the way down to sea level. Now, we do it. We've done it and we're going to do it this weekend, but it's always a really challenging forecast and the modeling doesn't necessarily handle that that well because you're slicing the atmosphere, as you guys know, into really, really thin slices vertically at that time, not to mention the horizontal complexity that I mentioned previously. And then, of course, fronts just act differently in the West than they do in the East. We have catafronts fronts where you have anna so we get a lot of our precipitation Post frontal, whereas in the east, you know, it's all with the front, and then after the front goes through, you get high pressure and you settle down, and it's cold. Not the case here. We get a lot of really active weather. In fact, a lot of our, uh, our, a lot of our convection uh, from fall through winter and spring is post frontal, and it can be very compressed to what you're used to dealing with back in the Midwest. In the east where those towers can obviously grow to 50, 60,000 feet. We've actually had rotation and weak tornadoes uh from uh convective cells that are only about twenty-five, maybe thirty thousand feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Because
3: we, we we talk to meteorologists all over the country, a lot of them in like um more tornadic areas. What is the yeah, the most crazy weather that you get in Portland?
4: you know really in a in a large sense it's a snowstorm because really? this this city I mean people will just abandon their cars literally really? they say oh it's snowing forget it I'm gonna walk <laughs> and then I'll go get it a couple of days from now and and so like we had a big snow event in January of 2017 we had about a foot and a half around town. It closed down one of the main arterials coming in and out of town. Uh, People were stuck for like four hours in their cars. We actually had a reporter walking through a tunnel that uh, that highway goes through, doing live shots car to car as she walked up and down the tunnel. So because we don't get snow all that often, and when it does come, it is a really big deal, and that's what we're in the middle of right now and will be really well into next week. Now, we occasionally do get severe weather uh, and tornadoes we had a big one in uh, coastal town really uh, interesting to get it at the coast in the town called Manzanita it was an EF2 um and that oh. one was actually warned for yeah um and it was interesting because it would not have been warned for had it not been for what i believe is the newest doppler radar in the WSR88D suite that they installed on the coast of Washington uh, about 5 or 6 years ago the rotation was picked up by that radar and was warned for off of that radar And uh, it was a big deal. There was some great video, too. Somebody was up on a nearby mountain and saw this thing coming in off the ocean and, it you know, tore a path through town. Of course, the Weather Service sent a survey team out, did all the things they do. And so um, we do get them. um, And it seems like we're getting them more and more, actually, over the last, say, five, ten years than we did previously. But that may just be because we've got more observations, more people are out there with cameras. Mm
2: -hmm. So what channel number are you out there?
4: We are Channel 8. We are the NBC affiliate.
2: So is it like Doppler 8 million then? Is that what you call it? <laughs> one?
4: It was. It was Doppler 8000 when we had it. <laughs> but we, decommissioned. we don't have a, our own uh, television station radar anymore. Um, it was going to require a lot of upgrading and updating. The magnetron was going to need to be replaced. And at that point, you may as well just get a new radar. Um, so uh, we no longer have our own radar and we rely on the weather service radars.
2: Cause we were Doppler 5,000, so I just figured, oh, yeah. Were, well,
4: we were bigger than you, Phil.
3: I know. We Doppler 10,000.
4: <laughs> yeah, the, the marketing around those things is always amazing, isn't it? Yeah. All right,
1: well, let's say, hey, I'm gonna do this, guys. We're gonna take a short break. Uh, go ahead and refill your drink, and I want you to check out our new tracker chat with the Tornado Trackers discussing storm chasing alone. So we'll be right back.
6: Welcome back to Tracker Chat with the Tornado Trackers. I'm your host, Jeremy Heyman. I am joined by my chasing partners, Gabe Cox and Jeff Mangum. Uh, Today we're going to talk about storm chasing alone. Sometimes you and your buddies can't quite sync your calendars up to go out for a storm chase. And so maybe you're just heading out by yourself to to see some beauty in nature. Uh, I know us... Here at Tornado Trackers, we have all done chases alone, and all have different stories. Um, but Jeff Mangum, uh, I would love to kick it off with you because I'm sure you have some some great wisdom on storm chasing alone.
7: Yeah, I've spent a large portion of, of my chasing life um, chasing alone. I think first you really gotta you really gotta kind of know yourself a little bit. Um, for me, I, I kind of come alive at about nine or ten o'clock, and so driving at night is not the biggest struggle for me. So after a storm chase, I, I kind of know that I'm going to be fully awake uh, in the late night hours. Um, I think it's important to kind of know that about yourself and and kind of be wise about that. Um, I, I think also when I know for me when I'm chasing alone, I'm in constant communication with both of you guys, and so uh we always call it um who's who's in you know mission control or uh something of the sort so for 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 me i, I can rely on both of you guys to be looking at weather models um anything on social media uh, while i'm driving and so i can kind of concentrate on trusting what you guys are seeing and and then just driving
6: totally yeah thanks for that i really appreciate it uh gabe what about you what do you think of uh, or what jumps to mind when when you hear solo chasing
5: um, disappointment, anger, <laughs> frustration <laughs> those are the three words I would use for lone storm chasing.
6: Tell us more about that
5: <laughs> I, I I am like jeff i where well here's what everyone should know about our team. We have three introverts on our team, so there is no problem with any one of us having to to drive solo. I think all three of us enjoy a good road trip in a quiet car. Um, it also is beneficial because when we do all get together, we know each other's social limits pretty well. But as far as me chasing solo, um, yeah, I don't mind the drive. It's when things start happening that solo chasing is hard. It's, um, you have a lot to juggle if you're trying to film everything. You're trying to forecast. You're trying to navigate, keeping an eye on radar. So as often as I can, I will have a chase partner with me. And a lot of times if Jeff and Jeremy can't join me on a chase, I like to use that opportunity to invite someone who has voiced interest in storm chasing. You don't need someone to sit in the passenger seat and forecast for you. They can navigate. Everyone knows how to read Google Maps. Um, So that's uh, when those situations are beneficial but yeah as far as solo storm chasing i try to avoid it um it's not always avoidable and i know there are a lot of storm chasers that prefer it and hats off to them i i if i had to do that all the time i would i think i'd lose my mind because there's a lot to do and like jeff said we always have someone who's kind of at mission control remotely tracking with us and forecasting um so that we can safely drive and get forecast updates while we're on the go getting to our target
7: area. Yeah, I think that's, it's really interesting because um, there's a lot of different kind of dynamics with different chasers who, some who want to go with a team of three, four, five guys. But um, if you don't have a team and if you are uh, someone who's chasing solo, I just think it's probably really important at the bare minimum to find a few chasers that you can connect with and even talk to ahead of time. Whether it means to meet up or not, that way, there's just some kind of familiarity where it's not just you on some trip, and no one really knows <laughs> where you are or what you're doing. I think it's just probably smart and safe to have some kind of connection with some other chasers uh, on a chase
6: yeah, absolutely thanks for thanks for sharing that. I personally uh hate chasing alone, so I do it as little as i as I can uh sometimes you just gotta do it. Uh, I just don't have the multitasking capacity i think to uh, to do that well uh, yeah, Gabe you mentioned a little earlier uh navigating running cameras uh forecasting looking at the radar it can and get a little crazy, and you add on top of that having to go to the bathroom being hungry um and it's it's my nightmare <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't i don't I don't love chasing alone I, my favorite chases are three people that's uh such a good amount and you know uh, one person navigating one person forecasting managing cameras and the other person driving i think is um the ideal in in my opinion Thanks, guys. Uh, Some really good wisdom on solo chasing there. Uh, This has been Tracker Chat with the Tornado Trackers. My name is Jeremy Heyman, and I've been joined by my chasing partners, Gabe Cox and Jeff Mangum, and we will see you next time.
0: Helicitydesigns.com is the leader in weather-themed clothing and accessories for the Stormfront Freak and you. Besides a creative line of weather-themed t-shirts, footwear bags, and more, they also carry an exclusive line of Stormfront Freak's podcast gear and drinkware. Get a 5% discount on your entire order when you use the code SFF for Stormfront Freaks at checkout. That code again is SFF. Find it all at HelicityDesigns.com. All right. So, hey,
1: so we're here. We're back with Matt. And, and Matt, I want to know this. So, so you, you've got a good history of, of being in television and, and meteorology on TV. W- what did it take to get your foot in the door when you started at first? And then second, what have you, what's changed? What, what do you see different? So younger people looking to maybe want to do that. What's changed? Or what are they going to have to do?
4: So, you know, I'll go back to the first part of the question first. Uh, When I did it, what I did is um, I was in uh, school at the University of Utah and I interned at a TV station in Salt Lake City. And through that process of interning, I was able to use their equipment and practice and cut tapes at the chroma key wall wall, and, um, and try to get, you know, reasonable enough to put together a resume tape that I could then send out. Um, when jobs are open now of course in television you typically start in really small markets and small towns and cities across the country and back in those days this was pre-internet on um, the best way to do that was through a magazine a trade magazine called broadcasting cable and they have want ads in the back of the magazine that stations would list their openings that's how I got my first job was through that magazine in Traverse City Michigan
6: oh so I like yeah,
4: yeah. Which is a great place, by the way, a yeah. wonderful, wonderful place to visit and live. I was really disappointed, though. That job only lasted three months, happened to be the summer months, because um, I really wanted to spend a winter there because I love snow. And, of course, they get hammered with lake effect snow and everything else. Um, so that was my first job was through um, the, the magazine. I think my second job, which is in southern Michigan, was the same way. And my third job uh, in southern Oregon, in Medford, um, was also the same way. Nowadays, of course, it's much easier uh, to create a resume tape, you can do it on your iPhone, you know, and with PowerPoint. Um, so I would encourage people to do that. And then, of course, the resume tapes these days are all done online. Either, you know, somebody puts their tape on YouTube or some other hosting service, and then they send the link out to news directors and people who are hiring. And that's how they do it these days. But the key, of course, is practice, 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 practice. And knowing what where, you're talking about it helps too.
3: Yeah, that's where, always were helps. You, <laughs> where were
2: you in Southern Michigan?
4: Uh, I was working in the Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Battle Creek Market. That's where I was. Oh, Oh, really? What station?
2: Channel 13. WZZM. In
4: in WZZM? Okay. So I was at Grand Rapids. I was the second ABC affiliate in that market, which was in Battle Creek. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Channel WUHQ. Channel 41. They they did a startup newscast. And so they hired the whole uh, team, you know, fresh. And so both myself and the sports guy that I worked with in Traverse City, we both got laid off. The whole, the whole news department in Traverse City got laid off because the ownership of the station decided to put it up for sale. And we were like a, you know, last place station in the market. So they just canceled the entire news program to make the bottom oh. line look better wow. for sale. Yeah, welcome to broadcasting, right?
3: Yeah. So, so Matt, you've lived, out. you've lived all right, so let me keep track. You've lived in Michigan, New England, yep. Yep. Oregon, uh utah. utah
4: yep and i also is that lived it in, uh, no i also lived in toronto canada for a year when i was growing oh, up oh wow yeah
3: so do Braced you think it. that even nowadays for somebody getting in the tv that they're gonna have like i've always in my career seen people they've started in a small place like you said and they constantly have to move do you think that's still yeah. true yeah
4: i do i do think that's still true and you know what i I think there's a there's value in that i mean Mm -hmm. in those small markets you do everything and you learn skills and have to do things that you don't have to do hopefully, when you get into larger (laughs) markets. I mean, I learned how to report when I worked in Medford, um, uh, you know, and I learned how to write for television news, which was also a very valuable skill and has served me really well in my career to be able to do stories and actually do reporting that is weather-related or not weather-related. I've covered three Olympics um, in my career because I had the ability to tell stories and report that were not weather-related, and management had enough uh, confidence in me to go do that. So, you know, I think that, and then I've also made lifelong friends because you know everybody's 23 and you're
3: all the same
4: thing. And yeah it's just great memories from those early days in in the small markets
2: those small markets can be tough though because on commercial breaks when you got to clean the bathrooms
4: that is <laughs> yeah i, I don't, don't miss, miss that. that yeah your job performance review comes up they're like dude you're not cleaning the toilets well enough <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs>
1: So, Matt, I've read you, you've created some uh, weather calendars as well. So, you've got a little, uh, little hobby in photography. What, uh, tell me, what are some of your favorite weather images that you've put into your calendars?
4: Oh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Phil. Um, it's, I, I am a, a, an amateur photographer. And as I mentioned earlier, my passion is the outdoors. So, I spend a lot of time back, uh, backpacking, backcountry skiing, and Traveling to some pretty remote places, which is really the reason I've been able to get some pretty great shots. Um, one of my favorites is actually in the Olympic mountain range in Washington. Uh, it's was on a very narrow ridge way that really uh, not even room enough for two people to turn around on. And as I was going up the trail, a mountain goat came down the trail the other way Aww. and we were at each other for a while. And I was like, okay, dude, you're a better climber than I am. You go out. And he walked out onto this little precipice and turned around and kind of raised a paw and looked at me and he had all of the Olympic national forest behind him. So that was one of my favorites for sure. Um, In 2004, I was lucky enough to travel to Greenland um, to do stories on the climate change research and the ice core drilling that they do up there. And I got some really cool pictures of ice cores uh, through a polarizing lens. And When you look at them through a polarizing lens, they light up like a Christmas tree, just all kinds of colors. That's going to be cool. Yeah, so those are two that are top of hmm. mind, Phil. But it, that's been a really fun project.
3: Now I read too that you were the only person to do a live TV broadcast on the top of Mount Hood.
4: Yeah, you had that's to get true. good pictures wow.
3: there. You had to get good pictures there, right?
4: That was so much fun. I mean, it was it was a big event because back in those days when I did that, um, <clears throat> the gear was still pretty heavy. So we had to lug up, you know, like twenty five pound batteries and a big tripod for the Stinger. For those who don't know, broadcasting, a stinger is the device that shoots the broadcast signal from the camera back down to somewhere where it can be transmitted. So what we did is we parked the satellite truck at Timberline Lodge at Mount Hood. We got to the summit. We set up that stinger, and it shot the signal from the top of Mount Hood back down to our satellite truck, which could then beam the signal up, and, and we could broadcast that way. So we had to carry all that gear up there. We had about a four or five-person crew. Um, ironically enough, the youngest guy in the crew, who was super fit, Got a little altitude sickness and didn't make it above nine thousand feet, so we had to carry his gear. Up.
3: I'm sure you didn't but, let him live that one down, right?
4: You know what? He was such a great kid. <laughs> we didn't ride him too hard on that. But the funny story from that event was, um, so we're up there, we're going live, and I wanted to launch, um, you know, a small weather balloon that we call pie balls or a pilot balloon, just and I had like tied a note to it or something just to see if anybody would find it, you know. So I do it. I'm doing this all live, and I and I've got this balloon. It's got something tied on the bottom of it. And I launch it, and the wind takes it, and it goes about 50 feet, and then it just drops straight down the mountain on the north oh. side of the mountain. I was like, it is just dropping like a rock, and they were all laughing at me back in the studio, of course, for that. And I'm like, yeah, I think I put a little too much weight on that thing; it didn't quite have enough. <laughs> um, but that was a really fun event, and, and and as far as I know, you know, in this in this day and age, you can go live with your with your iPhone up there if you want to. Um, but as far as I know, there's still the only live television broadcast from the top of Oregon's highest peak, Mount Hood.
3: Because how do you get, like, I've never been there. I know I read all the reports when people get stuck up there. But right. how far can you get up there before you have to start hoofing it? Like just walking um, up. To the well, goat. You can, right? you,
4: can drive. <laughs> you can drive to 6,000 feet. That's where Timberline Lodge is. Okay. The top of the mountain a little over 11,000 feet. So you still have over 5,000 vertical to climb. And really, from the time you leave the lodge, you're hoofing it. And it's yeah. steeper and har- harder as you go up.
2: How high have you been? I mean, altitude wise. <laughs> well, kind of Careful with that question. Different
4: conversation. <laughs> like you just got up. Um, I have been, let's see, I've uh, also summited Mount Rainier. That's 14,410 feet. Wow. And I trekked in Nepal, but I got altitude sickness there. And I only think I only got up to about 13,000 feet there. So I think, I think 14,000 is still, wow. uh, is still my highest. Yeah.
3: Ooh. so he's no slacker you guys (laughs) all right
4: so here's I'm mountaineering a bit now that i have a son but um, i still love to get out as much as i can so it's impressive
1: it's It's impressive all right so here's here's the last question before we jump into the lightning round um what what's your philosophy with hand nowadays and and social media you said you started before the internet uh and obviously now it's crazy right what's your philosophy with handling trolls that now it's not a letter to the studio; it's it's immediately showing up in your inbox. Do do you yeah, respond to them or do you ignore them?
4: If somebody has a legitimate criticism, question, complaint, and I feel like they're being you know they're being genuine about it, I'll answer them. But if I feel like they're just being trolls, um, I've learned the hard way to ignore them because it's a black hole. I mean, if mm-hmm. you you start yeah. you know answering people, they don't really want to come to any kind of further understanding or growth, they just want to, they just want to bang on you. Mm -hmm. And so I've got no interest in that. That's not productive. And so I have learned uh, over the years to just simply ignore them. How about you? What do you do? Matt,
2: we just tell people we're Italian and we know people. So, you know. (laughs) Shut
3: your pie hole.
4: Right. (laughs) And that's another
3: way to handle it. I might use that going forward. It is another way. Yeah, it hashtag way. shut your pie hole.
1: <laughs> um, so, Matt, t- tell us how, how can our listeners and viewers, how can they follow you? How can they troll you on social uh, media? Well,
4: <laughs> you, you can check me out on, on my Facebook page. Just uh, search for Matt Zafino Portland, and it's uh, two Fs in Zafino with a. Z- Z-A-F-F-I-N-O, Matt Zafino, Portland. That's my Facebook link. Or you can go to KGW.com and you can find me there. Just Google me on the internet and who knows what's going to come up. But stuff will definitely come up. And what's your home
2: address again? (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) All right. So, hey, that's our sign and that's the sound. It is time for our lightning round. So uh, this is our game show, Matt, of flashy questions that we always have with our guests. We also invite all of our listeners uh, and viewers to, to play along with us. Tonight, the game we're playing, Matt, we're going to call this thing Cat Sense. <laughs> so Cat Sense. Um, and so how this is going to work. I, I read a little bit that, that you might either be a fan of cats or you've supported cat organizations. and and Is all that true. correct? That is true. All right. So you know your cats so or you think you know your cats. <laughs> Maybe. All right. So here's how this is going to work. I, here's, I'm here's i going to give you a name, and the name I'm giving you is either the breed of a cat. It's a cat breed, or it is the name of a brand of perfume. Oh, I <laughs> love it. And so you Ooh. just have to tell me cat or scent. Cat or scent. So that's why we're calling it Cat Sense, Okay. Brilliant. I love All it. All right. Oh. So here, here we go. We're going to start off with the first one. We're going to call this Serengeti. Serengeti, is that a cat or a scent? Scent. The Serengeti ah, oh. is a cat breed. Really? Yep. So Seems we're not I off to a it, good I'm start. Like, that's a breed but he's not off to He a good said start. it with okay.
2: confidence, though. You know? He did.
1: I, I felt. I felt pretty. I was about to say you're right, but yeah, I, I would have been <laughs> wrong. All right, here we go. Number two, Shalimar. Is that a cat or a scent? Scent. That is yeah. correct. That is a scent. All right, here we go. Burberry Brit. Burberry what? Brit. Oh,
4: that's a cat.
1: That's a cat. <laughs> That is incorrect. No. Burberry Brit is a scent, uh, but we're close. Okay, here we go. Jidore. Uh, Jidore. Cat or scent? Cat. That is incorrect. <laughs> that is a scent. Now, I, 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 here's the disclaimer. <laughs> I may be pronouncing these all completely wrong.
3: wrong. Yeah. I think that's it, Phil. That's the one, one with
6: started. What, what is
1: your name? Isn't that what it is? Jadore. Anyway. J-dore. Uh, is here we go. J-dore? Here's the next one. Next j-dore. one. Sure, Bombay. Lord. Bombay. Is that a cat or a scent?
4: Well, I know it's a gin, but I'm going to go cat.
1: Cat? That is correct. Bombay is a breed. So we're good there. Egyptian Mao. Egyptian Mao?
4: That's a cat. Cat.
1: That is a cat. Very good. All right. We got cashmere mist.
3: Scent. That's scent. a scent. I wear that. No,
6: that shit. is
1: a scent. No kidding, really? I do. Very good. All right. We got oh, Australian definitely. mist. Australian mist.
4: That's a scent. There's no cat. Name. Really? There's what? a cat named. Mist?
1: Australian mist is oh. a cat breed. Yep. Check, check it out. Check it out. Mist All right. You. Organza. Organza. Cat breed or mist or scent? Oh my God.
4: That's got to be a scent.
1: That is a scent. Very good. All right. A couple more. Chantilly Tiffany. Cat or scent?
4: Please be a scent.
1: That wow. is a cat. Chantilly Aww. Tiffany. I'm not doing too well here. It, yeah, you're about 50-50. That's yeah. not bad. That's not too bad. You know, yeah, I wouldn't do well at all. I'll tell you. All right, Thai Lilac. Thai Lilac. Cat or scent?
4: Thai Lilac?
1: Li, or Lilac, yeah, yeah. however you want to say it. That's...
4: I'm going to go scent. <laughs> and you would be wrong. See, oh <laughs> wow. I, see, I
1: think I was pronouncing it right, because if tell it's a cat breed, here, it's Thai Lilac. Okay. All right, we got two more. Two more. Viva La Juicy.
4: <laughs> okay, I've been
3: saying scent all along, so I'm going to go cat, but it's probably a scent. <laughs> that is a
1: scent. You you should have gone Viva with La your... Juicy uh
3: me so many things. Hey, here's a Viva
2: gimme.
1: No. Who wears Viva La Juicy? Does that even work? I don't know. I don't it, know. I, it might not sell, but it, it does exist. All right. Viva La La, last one, Last one, Matt, is Oregon Rex. Oregon Rex. Oh. Cat or, or a Rex scent? Is,
4: uh, we're going to go cat.
1: You would all be right. correct. Okay. Very good. Yay. So yeah, so that last one, good old Oregon Rex. That is a cat. So all right, so I, I would say that was probably I didn't keep track, but it was probably fifty-fifty. That wasn't too bad. That that was impressive. So Well we, we Matt, we appreciate you playing along and thanks for joining us tonight. Um, we're we're gonna go ahead and take our final break. We got our new tornado talk segment with the story of the nineteen ninety-one Wichita Andover F-5 Twister. Uh, and we'll be right back with some Weather Fools as well.
8: A large tornado outbreak occurred across the central U.S. on April 26th in 1991. Fifty-five tornadoes were confirmed, 30 of which were rated F2 or greater on the Fujita scale. Four were given a rating of F4, three of those in Oklahoma and one in the state of Kansas. The focus of this twister tale will be on the most destructive and deadliest tornado of the day. It began south of Clearwater, Kansas and traveled through the northern parts of Hayesville, through southeastern Wichita, across McConnell Air Force Base, and into southern Andover. It had a path length of 46 miles and the width ranged from one-quarter to three-quarters of a mile. In the town of Andover, the tornado reaches maximum intensity and was given a rating of F5. The Wichita-Andover tornado was the third in a family of four tornadoes that pushed through south-central Kansas. The first tornado was rated F-zero. It damaged the roof northeast of Anthony. The second tornado also rated F-zero past northwest of Argonia, Kansas. It hit no buildings. The fourth tornado in this family developed on the heels of the Wichita Andover Twister. It was an F-2 that touched down at the northeast end of El Dorado Lake and moved parallel to the Kansas Turnpike. It was during this tornado that a news crew from KSNW took shelter with others under a highway overpass and survived. It caused a misconception that overpasses are a safe place to shelter during a tornado. They are not. Tornado number three developed south of Clearwater in Sedgwick County and quickly strengthened. Spotters denoted three vortices revolving around each other. F3 damage occurred in northern Hayesville. There was major damage to homes in this area. It moved into southeastern Wichita, crossing K-15 just south of 47th Street, damaging a building at the Boeing aircraft plant. The next stop was the McConnell Air Force Base. Many buildings on the base were damaged. Two apartments and several homes were destroyed. Severe damage occurred to an elementary school. It was noted in the storm data publication from April of 1991 that damage at the Air Force Base could have been much higher. The tornado missed a flight line of B-1B bombers by 1,000 feet. The tornado moved near Pawnee and Greenwich Road and grew to F-4 intensity. A housing development northeast of this area was hit. Two children and two adults were killed. The deaths occurred while they were outside trying to reach shelter. Damage in Sedgwick County was $100 million, plus $62 million at McConnell Air Force Base. The tornado began to move toward Butler County and the city of Andover. The National Weather Service in Wichita produced a set of pages for the 25th anniversary of this event. According to a timeline of the events, at 6.30 p.m. Central Time, a tornado warning was issued for Butler County, including Andover. The tornado sirens in Andover failed, but at 6.31 p.m., Andover police drove through the Golden Spur Mobile Home Park, warning residents to seek shelter. This park would become ground zero for the F-5 damage. The park had a tornado shelter that 200 people utilized. Per the storm data publication, there is a video of police driving through the park urging people to take shelter. Unfortunately, several people are seen not heeding that advice, just going about their own business. At 6.40 p.m., amateur radio spotters reported the tornado east of U.S. 54 heading toward Andover. At 6.43 p.m., the tornado began to move into the south side of Andover, and by 6.45 p.m., the mobile home park was hit at F5 intensity. 223 of the 241 mobile homes were destroyed. 13 people were killed at the park. The Storm Data publication notes that experienced tornado damage surveyors said the damage to the mobile home park was among the worst they had ever seen. A vehicle found in a field one half to three quarters of a mile northeast of the Golden Spur was so badly damaged that it could not be determined if it was a car or a truck. Eighty-four other frame homes and 14 businesses were destroyed. The tornado moved northeast away from Andover and hit homes on the outskirts of Tawanda and then dissipated north of El Dorado. This tornado was the last F-5 recorded under the old Fujita scale in the state of Kansas. Sixteen years after this event, under the new enhanced Fujita scale, an EF-5 hit Greensburg, Kansas on May 4, 2007. Details about this event from the National Weather Service in Wichita and from the April of 1991 Storm Data publication. For more information on this event and many others, check out our website at TornadoTalk.com and get hooked on more tornado history by following us on social media.
0: Hi, this is Gary England. It's Friday night in the big town, baby, all dressed up, no place to go. Jump back, throw me down Loretta. Hey, be sure and listen in every week, right? Every week, the storm front, Freak podcast baby
2: it's the best Let's take in the world all right welcome back time now for weather pools i think we'll get some good ones this week i'm kind of excited about this dina what do you have
3: all right so i'm gonna share my screen this one is um i saw this on facebook and um I, it doesn't really look like the United States, but it's funny. It says on my way to work. That's the way it's titled. And it's a road that's completely ice covered. So as you're watching it, um, they're kind of crawling. <laughs> they're crawling up the road. That's um, definitely
1: like Europe
2: or something.
3: Yeah, it looks like Europe, but it's funny because it looks like they're drunk coming home from a bar that they're really on their hands and knees.
2: They're probably saying it then.
3: Europe. And it's, it's funny because he Whoa, goes look up, at him, he's oh, going backwards, and slides back down.
1: Oh, I hate that when that happens. You go through uh-huh. all that work, climbing yeah, up the so hill. Yeah, it's so
3: funny. And then he slides back down, slides back down on his butt, and they're all kind of trying to get up this hill. And you see somebody else slide down. I mean, the whole road is ice covered. And this goes on for a good minute. And then, like, about a minute or so into it, you see another guy trying to get through um, on his bike. And the whole video is, like, he's trying to get through on his bike. It's just funny. Um, I going to stop sharing because it keeps giving me like a,
1: ads. Good old ad an
3: ad pops up. I mean, yeah. we can't even get through lives without an ad. But
1: that's good. I um, love ice. I love but ice. But it's
3: so funny. I love ice because it, it levels the playing so field funny. for everybody. It it, it just looks it, it funny just... when you start because it looks like <laughs> is he drunk and crawling home on all fours, or yeah. do they can't? They just can't get home on the ice. So it's the, cute the only the it. only
1: time I can go one on one with Michael Jordan is on ice and then, <laughs> and then it's, it's even Steven it's a
3: level, level playing All bets deal. are
2: off
1: at that point. Yep.
3: Yeah. It's great right. should watch it. It was a
2: good one, Dina. Thank you. All right, Phil, you got one. You think you can beat that. So
1: I do too. So, so I'm, I'm going to share one, uh, from that, that I saw, uh, was shared by our, one of our friends, Ginger Z that's been on our show before. Uh, this was her Twitter. Um, and, and again, we'll post this, but she had a, a video on Twitter said love this every year it's the 45th annual cowboy downhill at ski steamboat so steamboat springs Uh, and so here's what happens they invite cowboys and gals (laughs) who have never skied or skied very little to try it out for the first time and so if you watch it people are wiping out left and right uh because they've never done this before and they're all in (laughs) cowboy hats and they're skiing downhill, and they're trying to go over this jump, and nobody's barely making it through this jump. And they're in their chaps and cowboy hats. <laughs> that guy tried to do oh. a spin; wasn't oh, very successful. That I don't know. Oh, that is crazy. So, oh, but beautiful, beautiful stuff, and crazy at the same time. So, yes,
2: I will say Steamboat one of my favorite ski resorts. Really, Everywhere never
3: Colorado's been there. Awesome.
2: It's just a heck of so a. So, Mads, you got to put on a
1: cowboy hat and go ski the
3: can you imagine cowboy, a cowboy hat and chaps
1: that'd be and fun. that's it that'd be a good time
3: <laughs> and that'd nothing be else. juicy baby <laughs>
2: <That'd be good. laughs> all right hey that was pretty good
8: oh yeah
2: that's pretty good phil all right so i've got one i think i just have to here we go hang on a second got that and
1: hit you know the share. best audio is when you play by play your screen sharing <laughs> Is it's it like doing every it every time? Every time Kim does that, we have to. Okay, okay. Oh, oh, you got to see Whoa! that.
2: Oh, okay. so, replay. I want to preface this. So this is a person that's obviously on his roof trying to get the snow off. It's pretty deep snow, too. So what? It doesn't take very long to realize. Probably should have uh, gotten rid of the stuff right above him.
1: Uh-oh. And what happened there? That's worth seeing again. Oh. Well, <laughs> explain it, because obviously people listening have no clue. <laughs> All right, so.
2: He's tapping the roof to try and get some of the ice to the right away. Unfortunately, it's like a foot deep near the top of the roof. And that whole, basically it's an avalanche that occurs, hits him. He almost does a face plant into the gutter and then just comes wiping out off the roof. We got to do it one more time here.
1: One more time. And it takes, he does like a somersault. The the avalanche off his roof takes him off the roof via somersault. He's lucky. He's lucky
3: a foot deep on there and he's like tip
1: tip tip what, what is that büten but- even... büten yeah,
3: it looks german Obviously
1: german yeah. looks german yeah uh, yeah that was engineer. a good idea so follow <laughs> yeah. me follow me for your daily feed of amazing weather science nature and more dutch and english tweets
3: hmm. it was funny okay.
2: Maybe it's dutch okay so you could check out all those on stormfrontfreaks.com episode 72 show notes there are actually some really good videos you got to see
1: good okay. good winter that was good winter vi- winter weather fools right yeah, there. We're good. yeah. icy
3: yeah. snowy skiing it's great. good old
1: weather fools god you gotta love the weather
3: fools. i love weather fools it They're is great. Good.
1: it is good all <laughs> right so i i think that just about does it for this episode of Stormfront freaks podcast uh hey thanks for listening and watching before i reveal our next guest uh, if you do enjoy the show do us a favor leave a leave a great review on your podcast app, uh, you know, some, some comments, what you like about it. We'd love hearing that stuff. And don't forget to subscribe to the show by hitting your podcast app, subscribe button. It works just like a newspaper or magazine subscription. It's free. And all it does, it assures the latest show gets delivered right to your inbox. Uh, the moment
2: that we release it. So and do, if, if everybody sends a dollar, we'll <laughs> have fif- $15.
3: 15 bucks. Yep. How do we split that? Well, but, um, there's three of us tonight. So well, I'll, sure.
1: I'll, I'll just send you because I'm going to spend it on the uh, stamp. So you know, I'll just send <laughs> you a point, blank, blank, blank envelope. So uh, I do want to uh, say a special thanks to our guest tonight. Matt Zafino. He's outstanding. Dad, that was thank fun. You.
0: Good yep.
1: It was good, good to get a little taste of the Northwest. We, you know, we're storm front <laughs> freaks. And and I don't they don't get a lot of storms up there. You don't think of that, uh, the Northwest, when it comes to storms. But uh, it's nice to get a little taste of what it's like to be forecasting up there. Uh, our next episode is in two weeks. We'll be recording February 21st with storm chaser Skip Talbot uh, will be on with us. Uh, so if you'd like to watch the recording live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, check out our YouTube channel just by searching Stormfront Freak. So for... Maz and Dina and good old Brady was trying to join us via the plane, but it never worked out. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and signal the all clear, and we'll catch you guys next time. Good night, Bye. everybody. Yeah. Thanks for watching and listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Watch our shows on YouTube and Oklahoma Weather Tracker TV. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our live interactive storm chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks
3: podcast.